Many are still grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating and not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. Uh, This morning we're going to be talking to Heather, whose daughter was placed for adoption in 1975 in Queensland. And she has a really interesting story to tell us, and I love talking to Heather. Um, So Heather, welcome. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much for being our very first interviewee on the podcast. Um, Jane and I are just learning this as we go, so um, we're so glad that it's you who's going to be the first person who's talking to us. Okay, thank you for having me. So Heather, I thought I might just ask you um, to share some of your story with us. Well, I might start right back in the beginning. Uh, I was 18 years old and when I found out that I was pregnant, it didn't go down well uh, between my parents and his parents. It was, I was a disgrace. How could you do that to the family? Mm -hmm. His family were exactly the same, even offered for me to go to Sydney to have an abortion. Wow. Which was a no-go in my books at all. Uh, The father and myself had discussed marriage, but that was a no-go. Both uh, sets of grandparents were saying no to the whole idea. So I was sent away to have my baby, 18, put on a plane and sent to central Queensland. All by yourself? All by myself. Uh, I remember I cried. I cried on the plane uh, all the way up. And I was, uh, I had spent the first two days in the Salvation Army home in Rockhampton when there was a family in need of someone to look after their children, their two children, while the mother went into hospital. So I was asked, would I like to do that? And I willingly said yes, I would go and help them out for that time. And the matron at the Salvation Army Home said to me, be very careful, you know, be aware of a husband by himself. Oh, wow. Be aware of sexual abuse. Well, I already knew about a sexual abuse because my father had done that to me for many years. And the day he stopped was the day that I said I was pregnant. He never interfered with me again. So I went to, left the Salvation Army home and stayed with the family in Rockhampton and looked after the children while their mother was in hospital. And I got on well with them. And they said to me, Heather, we don't want you to go back. Please stay with us, you know, through your pregnancy and whatever you decide to do. So I did stay with them. They never judged me, never um, gave me any suggestions to what I should or shouldn't do. Uh, We never really spoke about the pregnancy at all, at all. Uh, They would take, take me to the hospital for my appointments. And that was really hard when you went for your antenatal clinic appointments because you were single they did address you as missus 
and I did wear a ring on my finger. Because of the judgment, that's incredible, isn't it? The judgment was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And I remember very clearly one day at the clinic, one of the, the doctors said to me, he said, oh, your baby is breached. We're going to have to turn your baby around. And I panicked because I had no idea of how they did that. You know, I just, and nothing was said to me. I just lay there and had to let them do, do it, that. Exactly yeah. what I was told. It was it was horrendous. Went through the pregnancy and getting time to my due date. Uh, of course, I was overdue, and they decided that they would bring me into hospital and induce me the day before. They did a procedure to try and start the birth, but that didn't work properly. So I went in the next day to start the full procedure. Uh, They prepared me, you know, with um, getting the procedure of birthing going. And I can remember a doctor coming in to me and saying, we've decided to give you an epidural. And I so wasn't... You getting no say in anything? No, yeah. absolutely no say in anything. Yeah. And I must have looked a bit dumbfounded. And he said, oh, he said, that'll entail uh, an injection in your bag and it will make you numb from the waist down. And he said, I think it's very good that you have this because there'll be no pain and there'll be no emotional attachment to your baby. As true as I sit here, there are words that just ring in my head. How could a doctor, how could someone that has studied medicine say that to any woman? No emotional attachment attachment but it was so much part of the the way of thinking at that time wasn't it that you could just take a baby from a mother and that everyone would be fine with it you could put that baby with a new family and and everything would go on as normal the the mother could go back to mm. life before and the baby would be fine as well mm. that that's just seemed to be the way they thought it was it was horrendous and i can remember that the epidural mustn't have been put in properly because the pain didn't it didn't numb me like it was supposed to do yeah it put me to sleep for a couple of hours but didn't numb me and then I woke up with severe pain and then they put a little bit more of the I assume it was an anesthetic in but still didn't numb it properly so I was in a hospital six o'clock in the morning and at five to five after an horrendous birth I had um, the forceps there was a suggestion of me having a cesarean birth Mm -hmm. by the female doctor and I can clearly remember the male doctor saying I don't care how you get that baby out, but she is not having a cesarean. Oh my gosh. So then I had the episiotomy and I was cut and severely cut, I should say, and stitched up. Um, I couldn't sit for days after the birth. So after giving birth, I was placed in a four-bedroom, a four-bed ward Mm -hmm. with mothers that had given birth that were keeping, married mothers that were keeping birth. I was given the riot act by the matron. I was not to go anywhere near the nursery to look for my baby. Had you seen the baby when you given birth? No. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. When I gave birth, to my daughter she was so blue she was black 
I didn't know whether she was alive. That's to be honest with you. And if it wasn't for the female doctor holding my daughter up, I would never have known if it was a, a boy wow. or a girl. Never I've known. Uh, yeah, it's it's painful to go back to it and there are things yeah, that you forget. So it's a little bit like a jigsaw. Certain yeah. things come back to you. Uh, I can also remember when my milk came and the matron came in and she gave me a little orange tablet, a little square one, and it was about the, about the colour of a vitamin C tablet. And she said, I want you to take that. That'll dry your milk up. And I said, but can't my milk be put into a bottle for my baby? No. And she said, don't you let me see you nursing any other baby in this ward. So she then bound me up so tight I could barely breathe. And the next day, I was just in so much agony from the episiotomy, it wasn't funny. So I did my time in hospital and I wasn't allowed to fly back home because of that little bit of surgery. For two weeks, the doctor said, you're not allowed to fly back home. And it was, it was just absolutely a horrendous time. And going back while I was pregnant, <coughs> pardon me, I'm going back a little bit, while I was pregnant with my daughter, I uh, spent a fair bit of time in with what I call the social workers in the department up there, um, giving them as much detail as I could about myself and the father so that they could find the perfect family and perfect home for my daughter. And I gave them a photo of both the father and I together and I was just wanted her to go to a wonderful, wonderful home. And the reason I did that was because I knew if I took my baby home, and especially being a girl, she would have been abused wow. by my father. And that was a sacrifice that I had to make for her. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, you can take a minute. Yeah, no, it's... Some people would find that very hard to think, how could a mother do that? But how could a mother take her child home to an environment where she knew that child would be... In danger. In danger, not safe. Yeah. What sort of a mother would do that. So with that, Raylene, my daughter, was placed for adoption. I came back and there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think about her. I also remember when I got home from the hospital, <clears throat> I rang them up the day after I got home. And I, I'm, pardon me, I'm talking about the um, department, the social woman that I had dealt with, the social worker there. And I said to her, I want my baby. I really want my baby. And she said to me, she said, but she's already with her new family. How do you think they are going to feel if we go and take 
her away from them. That was very painful. And I did actually say to her at the time on the phone, I, it's the right thing for my child to be adopted, but the wrong thing for me because I was green. I wanted my baby come hell or high water. I wanted my baby. I didn't want my child to go for adoption, but there was no money, no support. I had nothing, not a thing. And to bring a child back home to an environment like that was not not a good not good. Yeah. So I came home back home to Brisbane and as I said, not a day went by where I you know, I didn't think about her. Then I met my best friend who is now who has been my husband for many, many years. I did tell him about the adoption. He knew that from the first day that we went out and he from the has... the first day you went out, First you day, yes. I was 100% honest. Yeah. I thought, I'll tell him and if he doesn't like it, then I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone that can't accept me for who I am. Never told him about the abuse, but just about the adoption. And I can remember... We went to a um, Kodak night one night, and this is when when we used the photos used to go through, and I was just staring at every photo. And when we got in the car to come home, my husband said to me, "You're looking for your daughter." He was so right; never yeah. stopped looking. We went on, we got married of course, and then I had two other children, another girl and a son. And it's impacted, the adoption has impacted on that. I could not let my children out of my sight. Terrified, absolutely terrified of losing them. you know, someone was going to come and take them. It's it's something that I that I know now when I look back just how the adoption has impacted other parts of my life. When it came to photos, I'd always have my children's photos done when they were little. But I never put them up because there was always that one child missing. You know, come Christmas, birthday, you know, Mother's Day was another reminder that there was a child missing. They were terrible times. They were tough times for me. Um, My children never knew, I never told them. And it was when Raylene turned 18 that I thought I might be able to search. I might be able to to search for her, even though I was told I didn't have a right to ever search and that it was, the adoption was final and that that was it, but the laws changed. And I did look in the phone book and I just looked adoption and I came across an organisation by the name of Jigsaw and I phoned, I don't even think I gave my name at the time just to talk to that person on the other end of the phone. It was hard to make the phone call because I felt like people could see me through the phone Mm -hmm. and they were still judging me as a single mother placing a child for adoption you know 
I just felt judgment. Yeah. I felt like I was being judged. But that wasn't the case at all. Someone that listened to me and understood where I was coming from. So by the end of the conversation, I was very comfortable to give my name and my address where information was sent to me on how I could have apply for identifying information. Well, the information came through from Jigsaw and I read it and then I went through that whole, I can't do this, I can't, inter I can't because what if she's never been told she's adopted, you know, what impact would that have on her? Yeah. A lot of things came in, into play, you know. Do, I don't have that right to um, interfere in her life. So I placed that envelope and that information in my drawer. And I sat with that for quite a while. And it was only a few years later when God of, my father had died and my brother and I were dealing with the estate and I had to ring him regarding something and at the end of the conversation he said, oh, he said, by the way, he said, I got a phone call last night he said, um, and my heart sunk because I felt it was a bit more than nothing. He said, from your daughter. And it sunk again. He said, I gave her every little bit of information about her father and I checked out her birth date. He said to make sure it was definitely her. Like a complete stranger yeah. would ring up and say they were a person. It's not the first contact you would have wanted your daughter to have. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely not because our family is dysfunctional. That was very hard. But he did say to my daughter, he said, if my sister, you know, my sister doesn't want contact. He said, I'll intervene and play mediator. I'm just so pleased that she didn't get herself too involved and just left the door open for me to make contact. With that, of course, I was straight on the phone. But what my brother didn't tell me was that she she told him her movements for the next three days and what he didn't tell me that she was going to be out. And I went straight away to my husband that was home at the time and said, my firstborn child, my daughter, has contacted me. And he said to me, he said, well, what are you doing? He said, get on the phone and ring her. Well, I rang and rang multiple times. And the first thing that hit me was rejection. Yeah, yeah. She, she doesn't want, she's seen the number on her, probably on her phone. The things adoption makes us feel like it's like the fallback isn't it it's just exactly. our automatic reaction to things yes yeah yes oh, I was she's rejected me yeah she's she wants to tell me she hates me then the anxiety and the panic hit in I tried all day and I tried at night in fact I tried until 10 30 at night the next day, believe it or not, was my birthday. 
And I can remember waking up, my husband woke up and he said, happy birthday, love, and handed me the phone and pressed redial. And that was the start of a wonderful, wonderful relationship between my daughter and myself and also her adopted parents. That's fantastic. I have been so, so blessed to have her in my life, her husband, and she had no children when I met her, and my two beautiful granddaughters, and she had has wonderful adoption, adopted parents. Her adopted mother has passed away, and her adopted father is still alive, and I got on very well with them, and there was a lot of respect from both sides, and I can remember very clearly her adopted mother and I speaking on the phone one day, and she said to me, Heather, you and I both loved that girl the same. And it was so, so true. Yeah. It was just so true. I said, yes, that is the truth. And I know deep down my daughter knows how blessed she is to have two mothers that love her so much. Heather, I have to ask, um, you said when you placed your daughter for adoption that you were filling in paperwork with information about yourself and the father and that you had given them a photo? Um, yes. To give, what, what information did she get when she got her information? Did she get that photo? No. So absolutely nothing. She didn't get it? Not a thing. And then when I eventually applied for my information, I said, where is my photo? What photo? Wow. So I feel that photo was probably destroyed. Somebody thought they knew best. Yes. Yeah. The whole idea of the photo was to try and get a match, someone that she would look similar to. Yeah. But I didn't know. So you were really doing everything you possibly could from an impossible position to ensure the best life for your daughter. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I felt by giving them a photo that they may find parents that had similar features that she wouldn't go through life with, you don't look like your parents. You know, a sense of trying to belong in yeah. that family yeah. as well. I can remember when I first met my daughter, her adopted mother, I said, I went up by bus and her adopted mother said, as soon as you got off that bus, she said, we knew. You do look very, very similar. I've seen a mm. photo and you do um, look incredibly similar. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So that would have been really amazing from her perspective. To, um, to finally meet somebody who looked so much like her. Oh, yes. Yeah. It was a bit mind-blowing. Yeah, it's a good word for it. Yeah, it was a bit mind-blowing. And for me, the first time that I entered my daughter's home, there was a photo of her and her husband on the wall, wedding photo, and I couldn't get take my eyes off it because I thought, my goodness... It's like looking at yourself yeah. all over again. Yeah. And her second child, I see a lot of myself yeah. in as well. So one of the things um, I've heard some mothers say is that you go into that meeting and the last you've known of, of this child was as a baby. And then, of course, you're meeting an adult. And so there must be... A whole pile of emotions that come with that because you're, you're not necessarily meeting what you left so it, how did how was that can you tell us a little bit about the, that, the mix of emotions with that that was really 
that was hard. In fact, I have a little joke. <laughs> when my daughter and her husband came down to spend time with us, she said, oh, can I do a load of washing? I said, by all means. The washing had finished and she said, oh, I'll pick it out. I said, no, no, I'll go and do it. And I said, when I came back in, I was the only mother that dodged the nappies and went straight to G-strings. <laughs> <laughs> and we still laugh about that today. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Out of something so sad, yeah. I turned something into a positive. Yeah. It's it was very hard because I've missed so many years yeah. of her growing up, her childhood, you know, the first steps, you know, first teeth, calling you mum, all those things, mm. they have gone. Yeah. But I now have a wonderful relationship and that's something that is worth more than anything to yeah. me is to be able to go forward. I can't get my past back and no one can really heal that for me but me. But it but going forward with a wonderful relationship is worth more than anything. It's a matter of adjusting expectations, it is. isn't it? It is. You sort of go in maybe mm. hoping for one thing and then you have to realise the reality of what it is and then mm. and then find a new way forward and be okay mm. with that change in expectation, I think. I had to because there is no baby. Yeah. I will admit that when she had her first child, her first daughter, you know, looking at the baby you know my first granddaughter mm. looking at the baby I thought I wonder if that's what she was like yeah. as a baby I have photos I'm very blessed her adopted parents gave me a heap of photos very blessed to have all of that but I never had my baby you know those thoughts do go through your head you know was she liked that as a baby, yeah. I, but all I can do is move yeah. forward, yes, yeah. yes, because for me, it doesn't do me any good dwelling on the past, it works better for me moving forward with yeah. our future, and yeah, that's yeah. So it's been um, about two decades since you first started to become involved in the adoption community and, and you've gone on to um, do a lot of volunteer work and, and be involved in different panels and committees and things. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what that volunteer role and, and helping others has done for you? Because when people sort of think about someone volunteering to help someone, it's all about the helping the other person. But there's quite a bit of payback that comes from doing that work. Can you tell us about that? It's actually, it's interesting you should say that. I started, actually I started with, um, as I said, I rang Jigsaw many years ago for the how to go about the search and as it turned out my daughter found me and then when I did a little bit more looking um, I found out that Jigsaw had support groups and I started attending those and I found them so helpful um, especially the open group because there were not only mothers there were adoptees as well and in some cases adopted parents so I was able to hear I so agree with you with that because it can be really difficult sometimes talking like I know talking to my own mother um, there's some things that sit between us then there's some things that make some conversations um, difficult but I can have a conversation with you or another 
um, mother at one of those groups and I'm able, none of that sits between us and it's so helpful to get perspective. It so, is. Yeah. Because it's you're not... very healing. You're not judged. Yeah. You're not judged for for you. Yeah. Um, you're accepted and it's it's... It was just wonderful. So I went to the groups. I learned a lot. I think I grew a little bit more as a person. Then they were talking at one of the meetings about if anyone had any spare time, could they help in the office? And I thought, well, I've got time. You know, I'm stay-at-home mum. So I started just going into the office a day a week and helping. And I loved it. Mm. It was a little bit like... I know this sounds terrible, it was a bit like a drug. I just had to go. It was a place where I could go, I could talk, and no one was judging me. It was my it was it it was just wonderful. It was the yeah. only way to put it. So as time went on, I then started to get a little more involved, um, as far as answering phones. We did have professional uh teaching to do all of that Mm -hmm. uh it was it was so um rewarding it's not really the word i'd put but it was to be able to come home and know that you may have helped one person was really good for me because i know how much the organisation has helped me. And I've been involved with the committee as well. And I can remember before the apology, and I'm talking federal apology, came in. This is the apology for forced adoption um, past practices. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And when when that, you know, they said forced adoption, you know, I really struggled with that. And I think it was the word forced because I thought, well, no one really stood over the top of me. I had made my mind up for my child's best interest and for her safety and mental health as well. Adoption in for me was the right thing to do. And when they started um, having little um, meetings about it with different uh, sectors of the sectors, I thought, I don't want to go to that because, you know, I don't really fit in here. And I gave it a little bit more thought about forced, the word forced. And when I really thought about it, I thought, If I hadn't have been sexually abused, there's no way in the world my daughter would have been adopted. So I thought about the doctors. I thought about the nurses. I thought about society. I thought about parents, both sides. You know, then the grandparents. I thought about the way they reacted, it was... There was no support. Nothing. Yeah. All because I didn't have that ring on my finger. Yeah. yeah. And then I realised, well, forced adoption is a bigger word and it impacts a lot of people in different ways. You know, I think for a lot of people, they see the word as forced adoption. Someone standing over the top of you, making you sign Mm. your baby away. I was 18. Yeah. Nearly 19. I wasn't old enough to drive a car. I wasn't old enough to vote. I couldn't go to the hotel and have a drink. Not, I'm not a drinker anyway, but... I couldn't do those things, but yet I could sign a piece of paper that would give my child... Changing both your lives forever. Exactly right. Exactly right. So 
with that, our president at Jigsaw said to me, Heather, I'd like you to come to this meeting we're having with Professor Mushin, and I probably pronounced his name wrong. It's Nam Mushin, yeah. Yes, that's him. And he was putting together the wording or, or ideas for the wording of the apology, the federal apology, correct? That That is correct. Yeah. And we're Jigsaw were there, and I'm just sitting there, not saying much. And Trevor said to me, he said, Heather, tell Professor Mushin what you did. And I said I was six months pregnant when I signed my adoption papers. I can goosebumps. <laughs> and he, I can still see him. I can still see him in that room. Virtually, he slammed his hand on the table and said, illegal, illegal, illegal. And... I don't know what come over me. It was, I've been heard. I've been heard. Someone has said that whole adoption was, what illegal. I did, was illegal. Yeah. And that came from a high, you know, a judge yeah. in a family court. It did me the world of good to hear I, that it, it yeah. took just so much like someone had said that was illegal it should never of those papers shouldn't have been taken off you yeah. at six months so that was obviously quite profound for you and, and changed how you thought about your own experience oh yes yeah. yes it, it was it was yes it, it was just one because i didn't speak about the adoption to yeah. anyone you know, it, it was just a closed, a closed book. The secrecy, everything was there. I've, and there are still people today that I know that don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we um, we've spoken about this earlier, but we brought forward this podcast um, because of COVID nineteen and because our support groups are not um, mm -hmm. able to run at the moment. And um, while our um, phones are still operating and people can ring and get support through Jigsaw, um, it does take away some of our face-to-face -face activities or workshops we might have been running. So we thought we really need to bring this forward so there's still an opportunity for people to listen to stories and, and interact if they want. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, because I, I know this is happening um, for a lot of people, how is the COVID-19 uh, social distancing affecting you? Is, are you finding it triggering at all? What I find, it's government. And I know, you know, that hypothetically, the left part of my brain knows that we have to social distance. It's so important for everybody's health and safety that we do that. But the right side of my brain, it's taking me back to when I fell pregnant. It's the authority figures. It's government, doctors, anyone in a uniform telling you what you can and you can't do. And that triggers yeah. so much. You know, you, f you feel like you're that young 18-year-old again that has to do exactly what you're told. Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I've heard a few people say that, so um, I can definitely understand. Mm. And I think um, you're certainly not going to be alone, particularly with mothers um, who experience that authoritarian, you know, oh, yes. voice in their past. It, it, it is hard, and I mean... I know it's the right thing that yeah. we have to do it, but the other half of my brain, it's that authority. Yeah. Why? You know, just... Yeah. Um, Heather, I just wanted to ask, how um, were your other immediate family with accepting your daughter and and um, your experience, I guess? How did it, how did it all go with your family? Uh my husband there was not an issue at all because he always knew my daughter was the one that I told first 
and she found it very hard. Um, it was such a shock to her system. Yeah. And she said to me, she said, Mum, I would say to you, often say to you, why don't you have another baby? I'd love to have a sister or another brother. Why couldn't you have told me? And in hindsight, I wished we had said something to the children when they were little, that they had a sister out there. But then it goes back to that, what if when she reached the legal age, the 18, did, um, do I have the right to search? What if she hadn't been told all that? So it was something that we, my husband and I decided that yeah. we would just let sleeping dogs lie until the, the occasion arose. And with my son, he was he was mortified. <laughs> he he, uh, he just said, he straight away said to his father, have you got any children out there? <laughs> and, and he said, no, no, no children. And he needed a little bit more time to yeah. process it. My daughter came the next day with a big bunch of flowers and she wasn't married at the time. Oh, pardon me, she was engaged but not married, so she hadn't had children. It wasn't, I think, until she had children of her own that she understood a little bit more mm. about pregnancy and having a baby and the loss. I think she she would yeah. have understood that a lot more. My son, he's not married, he is still single. But I think a woman feels it, understands a little bit more, especially those that have had yeah. children. And mm. I think um, while you may not have told your children, there would have been some moments, some experiences, some sadness sometimes. I mean, we, we sense things in our parents, but we don't really understand what those things are about because we, we don't have the information. But um, their experience of you was no doubt impacted by your experience of, of losing a daughter to adoption. And um, whether they understood it or not, it was part of the fabric of, of your family, mm -hmm. do you think? I think you're right. You're right there. Um, they probably could never understand why I was so um, protective yeah. of them. Yeah. You know, if other children could go to the park and play. Why was it that mum had to virtually be there all the time? Yeah. I just was terrified of losing them yeah. all over again. Yeah. You know, that whole loss. So, so I, that loss is there the whole time and they just don't know what it is that's... No, no. Yeah. They, they just had no idea of why yeah. I was so protected. And, of course, the sexual abuse comes into that as well, you know. you. And my daughter said to me many years later, she said, now I know. Without saying anything else, she said, now I know why you were like yeah. you were. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. I think um, I might just ask like one sort of closing question, I think, as we, as we finish up. Um, you and I both know that reunion stories aren't always rosy. They can be difficult, and even the best ones go through some ups and downs. That's like, what would you be your advice to someone who's going, I don't know if I want to search, I don't know if I want to reunite because I'm, I'm so worried about what I don't know? That is true. I would say to any, any mother listening today who is so mixed about it, reach out. Reach out and speak to someone in the adoption field you don't have to give your name when you ring, but you will have a person that understands on the other end of the phone that will listen. You know, listen to your story. It's, you don't, as I said, you don't have to give your name, nothing like that, just 
it's so much better to be able to speak about it and get, because for a lot of them and there would be mothers older than what I am that have never spoken about it I know of mothers who have gone away and never told another soul yeah. that they've had a child and just to be able to talk to somebody about it just get the burden off your shoulders exactly yeah Yes, yeah. a burden shared is a burden halved. Well, Heather, um, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. And I know it wasn't easy. Um, and I know that there's going to be people out there who listen to it, who it, who really respond to it, who have maybe had some similar circumstances in their lives. Mm-hmm. And to know that they're not alone and, mm-hmm. and they certainly aren't these stories. Um, I hear them over and over again. So while everybody's story is unique there's some themes that are that pop up all of the time and i really appreciate you sharing um it with me and with everybody else so thank you so much for coming in thanks joe well we hope you enjoyed this episode of the adopt perspective podcast if you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 3358 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in that state. In every other state besides Queensland, Relationships Australia operates this service. Next week, Jane and I will be talking about forced adoption. We hope you can join us. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Mm